Well, this morning we're starting week two of our series called Pilgrimage. And throughout this series, for those of you who weren't here last week, we are looking at the book of Psalms and unpacking everything it has to say to us about life and this journey of faith. And we looked last week of the idea that the Psalms really paint for us this picture of process and this picture of the running title, Pilgrimage, and how life is just this journey that we're on with the Lord. And we can so often set up these false summits of arrival in our lives, but uh, really the, the overarching message and narrative of the Psalms in, in uh, one case is that the life is just process. Life is constantly walking with the Lord. Life is up, life is down, life is mountain, life is valley. But yet the covenant is the thing that anchors us Uh, in our lives and causes even the mountains and the valleys to have this color of joy to them and where we can walk through life circumstances uh, knowing that the covenant is the anchor of our soul. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, some some psalms that I think are going to be really helpful. But we're titling this morning's message, The Good Life and the Gift. The Good Life and the Gift. And as we prepare, let's just quiet ourselves as we often do. Let's pause and let's make space. And if you're, if you're wired this way, if you're comfortable with it, just open your hands or if you want to put your face in your hands, if you just want to close your eyes, if you want to look up, whatever you want to do. But let's just make some space right now. Pause and give the Lord the first word of this time together. Lord, this morning we pray the prayer of Samuel. Here I am, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God, would you help us to posture our hearts, posture our eyes, posture our ears to hearing your voice and to seeing you more clearly this morning. God, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand the gravity of what you want to teach us through your word. God, I pray for every single heart and soul in this place this morning. Um, Some of us, I I believe, are coming in with shame. Some of us, I believe, are coming in with discouragement. Some of us are coming in with brokenness. And yes, some with joy and some with strength and some with hope. But God, would you minister to every soul and the specificity of our circumstances and lives this morning? God, would you come near and draw near to us and speak that word and give that sense of comfort that only you can truly give? Would you lift our hearts? And as we look upon you and as we feast on your word and as we drink of your love, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and you would lift our souls. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why disquieted within me? Put your hope in God, for I will ever praise him. Pray that as uh, we look at the scriptures, would you teach us, would you guide us according to your perfect truth, and we commit ourselves to doing all that we hear and putting it into practice, and so justifying uh, the position that we have with you and our identity as the people of God. 
Lord, we love you, and we invite you into this time, and thank you for your holy word. May it be a light into our, pe- uh, light into our feet and a lamp into our path this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name, and everybody said, amen. Why don't you just love those? Man, moments of silence and stillness. Some of you get excruciatingly uncomfortable, but uh, we're going to keep doing it because it's so helpful and so necessary. Well, what is the good life? What is the good life? Uh, so often in life, we hear kind of this term thrown around. And it's funny because really since the beginning, uh, humans, men and women alike, I think have wrestled with this idea of what is the good life? What is the life worth living? And it's kept philosophers busy really for millennia. And uh, unpacking what, what is the nature of this good life and this life that is worth living? In some cultures, throughout history, have emphasized the heritage of family. If you got a lot of kids and a way to carry on your family name, that's the good life because you're essentially immortal in your reputation. Uh, other cultures have, uh, have emphasized power. Obviously, we look at the Roman Empire, money, riches. But for us, we kind of equate it in our modern uh, circumstances, in our modern society today, with the American dream. That house that's 3,000 square feet with the white picket fence and the Beamer or Mercedes or Bentley or Maserati in the front yard. You got the pool in the back, which none of us here in Colorado know a thing about. And, and it's the American dream. That is the equivalent of the good life. And so often we hear this, this message thrown at us uh, in our postmodern Western American society of today. But uh, thousands of years before the American dream and before this proposition that it is the white picket fence and it's the car and it's the swimming pool that is the measure of the good life, the psalmists wrote that there is in fact a good life for the people of God that is true and that is durable. And that really is the prime definition of what it means to be well off and to live in goodness and to live well. And so uh, this morning, I want to look at these psalms. And these psalms are uh, termed by this scholar, Walter Brueggemann, who is this... uh, just prolific Old Testament writer. He's arguably the Old Testament scholar of today. Uh, He's just a freaking madman. If you want to go deep into theology in the Old Testament, he is your boy. Um, But he's more of an old man because he's like 90. But he's brilliant in his assessment of the Old Testament and the Psalms in particular. And he looks at the Psalms, and uh, there's a number of Psalms that speak of the good life and try to pinpoint and explain what is the good life. And Walter Brueggemann comes along, and in his uh, interpretation and definition of these Psalms, he calls these Psalms the Psalms of Orientation. And these are the Psalms that uh, give light and attention to uh, defining, just as we're saying, this good life. And these Psalms of Orientation really uh, speak of seasons of satisfaction, seasons of well-offness, if I can use that term, 
seasons that where blessing is just constant and it's consistent and there's regularity in abundance and in provision uh, where the bank account's full, when relationships are rich, when our bodies are healthy, uh, when we have occupational provision and even vocational clarity, life is as it should be and life just works. These are the Psalms of orientation. And as we look at these, these uh, are, are the, the way in which they're unpacking when life just works. Uh, some examples of this, Psalm 103. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your sins, uh, who heals all your diseases, who crowns your life with loving kindness. Uh, another example is Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. His offspring is mighty in the land. Come on, us charismatics like that, right? My offspring will be mighty in the land. Woo! And uh, wealth and riches are in his house. Some spheres of Protestantism probably err too much on that side, but we won't get into that now. Uh, Psalm 34 is another way, uh, another psalm of orientation. It says, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who fear him have no lack. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It's orientation. Where life is as it should be, life works, life is rich, life is prosperous, life is provided for. And uh, it's in these psalms that the good life is put on full display for all of us to see. And the important thing, though, to keep in mind with these uh, psalms of orientation is that the psalms never uh, speak of the good life just in means of um, monetary uh, provision or power or uh, anything. But it always speaks of the good life within the context of intimate relationship with the Creator, These Psalms of Orientation always speak of the good life, the truly good life worth living, being lived uh, in its entirety within the context of this intimate relationship with the Creator God. And I think Psalm 27 illustrates this well. Starting in verse 4, a very well-known passage of Scripture. Here's what it says. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek. Uh, The psalmist is after one thing. The psalm has his eyes locked in on one thing. And in this season of need and in this season where he's in dire need of provision and protection and fortification in life, he doesn't seek out after the stuff that makes life comfortable or the stuff that makes life good, but he has his eyes fixed on one thing, and that is the Lord. And that is relationship with him. And he realizes that if he has found the Lord, he has in fact found all that he needs. That it is the Lord who shelters him. It is the Lord who sets him high above the rock. It is the Lord who's the source. It's the Lord who hides him in days of trouble. And all that that he needs and all that we need today is ultimately found in the Lord. And in this covenant relationship with him. And so as we look at these Psalms of Orientation, uh, I think we see a sharp and even stark reality stare us right in the face. 
Because when we look at the psalmists and their explanation of the good life and the way in which life orients with the way things ought to be, um, we see that where the psalmist gives time and attention and focus to intimacy with the Lord and all the things flowing out of that relationship, we can be so prone to going the opposite side, can't we? We can be so prone to looking at the stuff. And I'll get the stuff and I'll have the Lord. And we kind of compartmentalize it. If I can have the, the success and the career and the degree and that girl or that guy and that house in that part of the country, and, you know, I'll have the Lord over here. And we compartmentalize it. The psalmist says, no, no, no. It is the Lord in whom everything else flows. It is in the Lord and in the pursuit of the Lord. This one thing that we seek, that life and provision flow and the orientation truly comes through. But yet we can give so much time and effort and attention and focus in our lives to the stuff, the full bank account, feeling important or needed, success, however we define that, Uh, seeking the stuff that God gives and the gifts that God gives more, maybe even, than God himself, than relationship with this creator. Yet the Psalms make it more than clear that it is only in relationship with the Lord that the truly good life can really be found. And the good life is uh, really saturated and caught up in this intimacy with the Lord. And apart from it, we can really have no uh, good life at all. And so he's clear, this good life worth living is found in intimacy uh, this week, Rush, my two-year-old baby boy, who, those of you who were here last week, I brought him up on stage, and before young adults, I didn't say this, but he was climbing back here and beating on the drums and walking over to the piano. That dude is 100 miles an hour nonstop. But uh, my two-year-old, he's two, he's, he's beautiful, he's wonderful, I love him. Uh, this week, uh, we're finding more than ever that he has this obsession right now with milk, He's just absolutely obsessed uh, with milk. He loves it. Chocolate milk, uh, white milk, whole milk, skim milk, whatever. He, he's all about it all. But whole milk is his game, right? That's where he goes. And, um, and this week, there was one morning in particular where he, w- he wakes up and, oh, he's so cute in the morning. He, he comes with his little bunny um, out of his room, and he has his little Lightning McQueen cup in the other hand, bunny, and you know, and he's just walking, and he has the sleepy eyes, people. I mean, come on. The sleepy eyes just get the parents to the heart. Oh, I love you. You're so cute. And oh, it's just, mm, it's amazing. And he's walking out of his room, and he's sleepy, and he's rubbing his eyes, and I, I find in this moment that I am overwhelmed with love for him. And love's not an emotion, right? Love is choice often. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get that. But I, I just have these feelings of, ah, I just love this boy. I love my son. Rush, you are the best. And he comes out of his room, and I just want to love on him. I just want to throw my arms around him and cuddle with him and and give him whatever he wants. Oh, son, ask anything. Up to half my kingdom, it's all yours, you know? (laughs) And I'm I'm like, I just want to love on him right now. And so he's walking up to me. He's coming out of his room, and I'm feeling this way. And I'm like, Rush, hey, come here. Can I cuddle with you? And he walks up to me with his sleepy eyes, and the first thing he says to me is not, good morning, daddy, or hi, or nothing. It's, I'll milk, (laughs) which I want milk is the correct interpretation. I'll milk, and he holds out his Lightning McQueen cup, and I look at him, I'm like, buddy, no, okay, I'll give you milk here in a second. Just come and let me cuddle. I'll milk. (laughs) Okay, buddy, 
I'm going to give you milk, but let me just cuddle with you. You look so cute right now. And can I kiss you? I want milk, buddy. I'm going to give you milk. I want milk. And then he starts throwing a fit, right? And then it gets real. It's like, you can spend your day in your crib for the rest of it. Come on. But he's saying, I want milk. We're going back and forth. And I'm like, bud, if you just let me love on you right now, I will give you milk. And he starts throwing a fit. And then this really beautiful moment that I was anticipating just turns into a morning kind of from hell where my heart is broken and he's throwing his bunny and his lightning McQueen cup and like kicking, he didn't kick anything, but he's, 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 he's just going nuts, has his eyes fixated on this milk. And I wonder, how often do we do that in our relationship with the Lord? How often does the Lord so just want to love on us and woo us into this relationship with him and bring us into this intimacy, and yet we have our mind focused on the career? Or we have our mind focused on that relationship. God, I just need an answer for this girl that I'm dating. God, I just need to pass this class. God, I just need my alternator to get fixed. And we're so fixated on the milk And God's saying, look, if you just let me woo you deeper, if you just let me draw you deeper into this relationship, then you will find me in greater measure, which means that you will find everything else in greater measure. Because in me is everything you need. I'm going to give you the milk. It's no question that I'm going to give you the milk. You're my son. You're my, of course I'm going to give it to you. But come, be intimate with me, Uh, seek me, pursue me, and then things will be given in their turn. How often do we throw our cup on the ground and refuse to draw near to the Lord until we have our way? And until we have that job or until we have that relationship. We get so focused on the stuff and these gifts that God gives us that we forget that God is the giver of gifts, that God is the creator. God is the one whom our souls were made for and isn't pursuit of the smaller gifts really uh, idolatry in some ways? If we focus more on the little gifts that the, that the big giver gives us, like isn't that setting up false gods in our lives and giving attention to where it ought not be given? It is the Lord in whom all things flow. And even when the rubber meets the road, even the greatest gifts in life lose their meaning and lose their value if they're disassociated from a relationship with the Lord anyway, don't they? Many of us can attest to that reality where we maybe landed that job or we landed that degree or we have that car and think on the surface, life just makes sense. We feel like there may be orientation. And yet, if we're not commuting and intimate, and walking with the Lord closely, then what's it worth? What's it for? We've missed it because it is in the Lord that our lives make sense. And it is in the creator whom we were made for that things just line up and things find their order and find their place in life. Brother Lawrence, a, f- a familiar figure of study here. So we'll just, you know, go from here and just call him uh, Lawrence. We'll just call him the Big L. I don't know. We can come up with a nickname or something. But Brother Lawrence goes so far as to say the greatest pleasures would be hell to me if I could relish them without him. Think about that. The greatest pleasures. What's your greatest pleasure? Is it the dream job? Is it that area of the country where you want to live? Is it that job with National Geographic where you get to travel the world and fulfill your wanderlust? Because probably 90% of us have that. Okay, I'm going to, okay, I'm there. But what is it? Like, what, what, what is that thing? What is that, that, that drive in you? What's the greatest pleasure? Because without the Lord and without intimacy with the creator and without the pursuit of God, those things are hell on earth. 
And that explains why Hollywood and the people of this world who don't know God can have fame and they can have fortune and they can have everything that life has to offer and yet there is darkness and there is divorce and there is substance abuse and there's experimentation with weird new age religion. There's absolute brokenness. Why? Because they've found the gifts and yet haven't found the one true gift that really matters. They haven't found the one in whom their soul was made for. And if they just found the one true gift, the supreme gift, the gift that is God, the gift that is Christ, then they will find that these little gifts that they have make sense. And there's order in life. And they find that they have stumbled into a life worth meaning. Philippians 3, 7 through 8, Paul goes so far as to say this. But whatever gains I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. People, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Christ is the gift. Christ is the prize. Christ is the one true gift in whom our lives were made for. And when we have Christ and when we've apprehended Christ and when we have intimacy with Christ, we have found that we have all that we can possibly need. We, we found that our lives make sense. We found that we can have these gifts, the job, the relationship, the degree, the car, anything, you name it. These things find their proper order and these aren't bad things, but they make more sense when uh, lived out under this canopy of covenant with Jesus Christ. Christ is the pursuit. Christ is the prize. And if we spend our lives seeking the gifts and seeking the fulfillment and satisfaction that the little G gifts bring, then we will forever be eluded. We, uh, the, the success and, and satisfaction of souls will forever elude us. We'll forever be seeking it. And it'll be that, that dangling carrot that we're trying to reach for, but we never get. But if we seek Christ, the true prize, the true gift, then we find that the satisfaction of our souls that we so long for is first met in Christ. And then the little gifts make sense. Then the little gifts are just auxiliary anyway. They're nice cherry on tops. They're nice additions because we've already found the one whom we were made for. We found an apprehended relationship and intimacy with the creator and it's because of this reality that we can share in the confession of the psalmist in Psalm 73 when he says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Sound familiar? That's what the Apostle Paul was getting at. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's nothing I desire on earth besides you. God, you are my portion. You are where my portion is. The job's not my portion. The full bank account's not my portion. The satisfaction of soul's not my portion. But in you, O oh God, is my sustenance. And in you, O oh God, and in richness of intimacy with you, I find meaning and I find comfort and I find provision takes care of itself. So Christ as the gift, Christ as the prize, Christ as the provision is the one worth living for. And he's the reason in which we live and we move and we have our being. It's because when we have Christ and when we have found Jesus Christ and we have apprehended intimacy with the Father, where we're walking through our days and we're going through our jobs and we're turning our cubicles into sacred space and we're turning our classrooms into places where we can encounter the Lord and where we can uh, be in the car and listen to 
music and, and think on the Lord and, and adore him continually, we realize that we have found this intimacy that we were made for and everything in life kind of just orders itself after that. And we've put everything in its proper context. And so as we look at these psalms of orientation and this good life and this life that really ought to be lived with the Lord and for the Lord and through the Lord, regardless of if you resonate with these psalms of orientation right now, regardless of if you resonate with the good life and you feel like you've found it or you feel like you haven't, regardless of if relationships are working, regardless of if your bank account's full, regardless of if you feel satisfied in life or if you feel just there's some dissonance, some clutter, some static, some offness in life. Regardless, if you're in a season of orientation, if you're in a season of disorientation, which we'll get to next week, the goal and the good life is found in Christ Jesus. Let me just lay it out there and say it as plain as day. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And I may be preaching to the choir and that's fine, but all of us, I feel, can use such a reminder that, wait, it is in fact Jesus in whom our lives were made for. It is for Jesus uh, that we live. It is for Jesus that we have our being. Jesus is the good life. Jesus is the one, and when we capture that and when we attain to that, then life makes sense, and things have rhythm, and things have smoothness, and we can have orientation, but it doesn't really matter because we've apprehended the one thing that really matters, relationship with the one whom we were made for and the one in whom we will have relationship for all eternity. And so when you find Jesus and when you find Christ and when you've apprehended uh, intimacy with him, you have found, people of God, all that you could possibly need. Because in Jesus, there is satisfaction of soul. In Jesus, there's provision. In Jesus, there's life. In Jesus, there's hope. In Jesus, there's freedom. In Jesus, there's wisdom for these occupational and vocational decisions we're making. Everything is found in Christ Jesus And so as we're going through this series and we're talking about pilgrimage and this journey of faith, don't for a second, I would encourage you, think that this journey is possible without Christ Jesus. Don't for a second think that this journey is about the pit stops along the way. Uh, These relationships, these jobs, these, these, these things that are good in life, but it is all about the one who journeys with us, who walks with us on the road of Emmaus who speaks to us, who opens the scriptures to us, who brings us and woos us into deeper intimacy. And Jesus Christ is the center, the things, the place in which our lives are satisfied. And uh, they were always designed, these things, to be just gifts of God, given by the one true gift. And we ought not seek these little gifts, but we, we ought to spend our time and focus and attention on the prize, Jesus Christ, the supreme and the one true gift that makes our lives make sense and makes them cohesive and makes them meaningful. And so our pursuit is Jesus. Our pursuit is the one who made us and who we will spend eternity with. And so don't pilgrim apart from Jesus. Don't journey apart from Jesus. This thing is all about him. And again, saying it a lot, but when we find him, we find everything that our soul needs, and everything just makes sense with relationship with the true gift, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are awesome. You are it. You are everything we could possibly need. You are the one in whom our lives hold together. Without you, we would be nothing. 
Without you, we, we are desolate. Without you, we are broken. Without you, we, we have no hope for a future with God. And yet, Jesus, you are the prize. You are the pursuit of our affection. God, you are the object of perfect love. You are the one, and when we find you, we find that everything else just makes sense, and the static clears away, and the dissonance clears away, and we find that, Jesus, it's you. It's always been about you. And I pray that as the people of God, we would reorder our lives around this reality, that we would keep in step with you, and we would remember that life is not about this stuff, the gifts, as good as the gifts are, but it's about the giver of the gifts. And Lord, we just look to you and we remember that it is because of you that we live. It is because of you that we can have any good thing in our life. And when we find you, we know and can stand secure that we have found all that we could possibly need. And so I pray that as we discuss and as we unpack these ideas together, would you give us a deeper level of understanding? Holy Spirit, would you continue to teach us and would you help us to unpack these in a way to where we can walk out of this room and know how this applies to us specifically in our life circumstances? Let us be open, let us be vulnerable, let us be truthful, and let us connect and commune with one another and with your Holy Spirit who dwells with us, in us, and around us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. A lot to discuss. Go ahead, uh, kick it to your tables, noodle on these questions, and uh, God bless you guys as you discuss. All right. Well, hey, as we wrap up, I hope there was some great discussion at your tables. Um, Shout out and a bit of a surprise for you guys, Shailene Smith, formerly Goss, uh, and the New Life Young Adult Leadership Team packed up Panera bags for, for us. So if you guys want Panera to go, uh, New Life Young Adults is the spot this morning. So go on out, grab that on your way out, grab some bagels, we got bread, we have a cornucopia of items and deliciousness and treats. And since I said that word, it's only downhill from here. So let's stand up and uh, let me bless you guys as we dismiss and go out this week. Father, we thank you for uh, your spirit. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And I thank you for these young adults. And I thank you that they are the light of the world, that they are the salt of the earth, that they are cities on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so, Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that as we disperse this morning, as we go out into the four corners of this city, I pray that this week we would be sweet-smelling fragrances of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would put on display the love and the joy and the peace of Jesus for all to see. And uh, that conversations would spring up this week, that people would be drawn uh, to connect with us and talk to us and that we would be bold and uh, bear witness to the truth of the gospel and Jesus, who you are. So this week, young adults, I pray that the Lord would bless you and I pray that he would keep you. I pray that he would make his face to shine upon you and that he'd be gracious to you. I pray that he would lift his shining countenance upon you and give you peace with a capital P. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and everybody said loud and strong, amen, amen.